Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now, let's dig in. Five-year-old Summer Wells went missing in June of 2021 and hasn't been seen since. In February of 2023, Summer's father, Don, was released from jail after serving time for a DUI. When Don spoke to reporters after his release, he expressed that the family is still focused on finding Summer. It is believed that Don and his wife, Candace Bly, are in Arkansas working no doubt as drywallers. Recently, the Wells were told that the Cold Case Foundation was willing to take a look at Summer's case. The Cold Case Foundation is composed of active and retired law enforcement members, legal experts, forensic experts, and more who work together to try and solve cases that have gone cold. For anyone whose loved one has gone missing and or whose crime case has gone cold, the Cold Case Foundation offers hope and fresh eyes on the cases. If the Cold Case Foundation were to reach out and offer to look at your loved one's case, most people would jump for joy. So many people go missing, and not everyone has the opportunity to get assistance from the Cold Case Foundation. Summer's mother, Candace Bly, from what I'm hearing, has rejected the Cold Case's help. Summer's father, Don, also seems reticent to accept their help. Apparently, the family has to reach out to the Cold Case Foundation to give them a yay or a nay, and then the family is supposed to let their local law enforcement know that they want the Cold Case Foundation brought in. Don Wells was on the Lab Live show a few days ago. He called in, and he was saying that he and Candace don't trust Chris McDonough of the interview room, and because Chris is part of the Cold Case Foundation, they don't trust the Cold Case Foundation. While Don was talking live, Brandy Neal, the mother of little Michael Vaughn, called into the show. Don, hold on a second. Have you met Brandy Neal? No, I haven't. She has a missing child. Oh, really? Yeah, go ahead. Can you hear me? No. Mr. Wells, my name is Brandy yep. Neal. I am Michael Joseph Vaughn's mama. Oh, okay. We tried to get a hold of you before, but people kept us from talking to you. Um, they didn't want us talking to you. We threw some certain uh, YouTube. Uh, they would not let us get in touch with you. Sir, I understand your feelings about all the, the YouTubers and everything. I just came outside for a quick break. I'm at work right now. So, um... Um, I feel sorry sure. for you. We prayed for you. I know what you've been going through. Mr. Wells. Yeah. Your beautiful daughter. Um, yeah, I know. She's, she deserves the help. And I, I know, I understand. I understand your feelings on YouTubers. I, our family has been through the ringer as well, sir. Right. Um, I know you have. And I, I understand what you 
and Candace have been going through, I will tell you that the Cold Case Foundation, they are just as respectable as the FBI, sir. They have been very, very helpful. And I understand your reservations with Mr. McDonough. And um, that's that that that's all of what you guys have gone through and everything what whatever my personal feelings with the cold case foundation with our law enforcement and the fbi the idaho state police they have been helpful sir okay i i i promise you i and i i monkey has been missing 641 days and we are we're we're getting answers as as horrible as they are and as slow as they're coming we're getting answers so please you and miss candace please consider we will consider it consider and and all you have to do is talk to the tbi and talk to hawkins county correct um we can talk to them, see what they say about it, and see if they want their help or whatever. That's, that's no problem. But I mean, we've I, 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 I wouldn't there. leave their door, sir. And it, my personal opinion, I would not leave their door. Um, right. if I could find every possible way, I've been down the private investigator avenue as well. Our family has. We've we've done many many private um investigations uh and worked with law enforcement alongside of it so yeah. well, i get it we're trying everything we can we're doing what we can I mean, i'm very limited is what i can do i have to work for them. they don't they don't they don't charge a damn dime sir not a dime they with your permission and, and and you asking for the cold case foundation and no it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a cold case they help with active investigations as well i i'm sitting here as an advocate for my missing son i'm yeah, telling I, you right I, now sir I'm and i want your daughter home well i do too so um i have to get back to work i I appreciate that. that. Thank you. Another one of Don Wells' empty thank yous. Five-year-old Michael, also known as Monkey, went missing on July 27, 2021, so more than a month after Summer vanished. Brandy called in to encourage Don and Candace to accept the Cold Case Foundation's offer of help. Don seemed slightly more willing to consider the help after Brandy's encouragement but it definitely wasn't a yes. Let me ask you, what innocent parents of a missing child would turn down the Cold Case Foundation's help? The only people who would reject their help are the ones who are afraid of being found out. I think Candace and Don both know Summer's fate and have some sick agreement to never tattle on one another. Even Candace's friend Kathy, who stuck with her after Don went to jail, 
and Candace found herself alone with very little income, has finally seen the light. She and Candace are no longer speaking, and Kathy confirmed that the Wells are up to their regular destructive behaviors. I predict Don and Candace will not live long lives. With what we've witnessed of them in panels on YouTube, their alleged use of alcohol and drugs will eventually destroy their livers. Candace was born with heart issues. Because of that, you'd think she'd be trying everything in her power to live a healthy lifestyle. So many people have offered the Wells help, but they seem to only want monetary help. They don't appear interested in getting clean. So sad. I also predict that the three Wells boys will grow up in the arms of other families, hopefully in families that offer them oodles of love, support, and stability. Maybe it's okay that Don and Candace continue to implode, because as long as they are messing up, those three boys remain safe in foster homes. At the end of the day, the boys being away from their parents seems to be the best possible outcome for them. Let's also talk about Michael Vaughn's case. Five-year-old Michael, or Monkey, as his family affectionately called him, vanished from his neighborhood in rural Fruitland, Idaho, on July 27th of 2021, the same year as Summer Wells disappeared. The blonde, blue-eyed little boy who was wearing a blue Minecraft t-shirt, dark blue briefs, and blue flip-flops was seen outdoors near his neighborhood on the day he disappeared. On that July day, Brandy was at work, so her husband, Tyler Vaughn, was at home with the children. Michael was on the couch playing with his Nintendo when Tyler went to check on Michael's little sister, Aria, whom the family called Buggy, in her bedroom. Tyler ordered a pizza and when he came back into the living room, Michael was gone. Tyler called Brandy, and she sped home. Brandy has said that neighbors witnessed Michael in his front yard and on the street moments before he vanished. The little boy even talked to the neighbors. Searches were held that night and into the next week. The police brought in canine dogs, which traced Michael's scent to the end of the road. His whole family was called in for polygraph tests. The Idaho State Police and the FBI eventually became involved in the case. Then, in mid-November of 2022, the police got a break in the case. The police told Brandy that they now believed Michael had been abducted and that his remains could be in a backyard nearby. This was the first time Brandy heard the police say that it was likely Monkey was no longer alive. The house in question was two minutes away by car from Michael's home and just across a farm field. The occupants included a 35-year-old woman named Sarah Wondra, who lived there with her husband, Stacy. Police said they'd received a tip from another person living inside the Wondra home that Michael's remains might be there, but the search did not turn up any sign of the little boy. The police also dug up the yard in a neighboring property, but again turned up nothing. Despite not finding Michael, the police arrested Sarah Wondra, saying they determined that she may have known about Michael's death and failed to report it. On December 1st of 2022, the Fruitland police chief, J.D. Huff, said that the police believe the child's remains were buried on the Wondra's property at some point, but were later moved. On December 6th, Sarah Wondra was found mentally unfit 
to assist in her own defense. She was committed to the state hospital south in Blackfoot for treatment, and proceedings were placed on hold for about four months. On January 26, the police announced that they'd recovered several pieces of evidence at the Wanderers' home and that they'd sent the items to a private DNA lab for analysis. On March 27, 2023, the court proceedings resumed. But in April of 2023, so just last month, the case against Wondra was suddenly dropped at the request of the prosecutor's office. Note that Wondra still faces charges of aggravated assault, destruction of evidence, and possession of a controlled substance in connection with another crime that is unrelated to Monkey's disappearance. So she's still in custody. And although the police have dropped the charges against her, in Michael Vaughn's disappearance, they're saying that they will continue to investigate the case. The police still believe that three other people have first-hand knowledge of what happened to Michael. Per the police, Sarah's husband, Stacy, remains a suspect. And this is also true of 32-year-old Adrian Lucian and 30-year-old Brandon Shirtliff, who were living with the Wondras when Michael Vaughn went missing. Moving on to the Brian Koberger case, an Idaho judge has scheduled a new hearing on the court-ordered gag order. The court set a motion hearing for May 25th. That's roughly a month before Brian Koberger is scheduled to have his preliminary hearing. According to Shannon Gray, the attorney for Steve and Christy Gonzalez, this new hearing is for the court to address his motion on the gag order. Gray is seeking to appeal, amend, and or clarify the gag order, which he claims is overbroad and vague. Gray wants to be allowed to speak to the public about the case on behalf of victim Kaylee Gonzalez's parents. Gray has stated that the current gag order only should apply to the attorneys, meaning the prosecutors and the defense attorneys, investigators, agents, and the defendant, Brian Koberger, as they are the only parties in the case. He added that family members of the victims should be allowed to speak to the public and media under the First Amendment. So Gray wants the existing gag order amended to make it clear who the parties in the case are and who the gag order refers to. Moving on to the Lori Vallow trial. This is the fifth week of 49-year-old doomsday cult mom Lori Vallow's trial in Boise, Idaho, and it sounds like the case may be wrapping up soon. Yesterday, jurors heard about what's being called smoking gun evidence against Lori Vallow, meaning a piece of incontrovertible, incriminating evidence. A DNA analyst testified that a strand of hair found on a piece of duct tape that was on the plastic wrapped around victim J.J. Vallow's body belongs to none other than Lori Vallow. The hair sample was found to match Lori Vallow, by 1 in 71 billion. That means if you put 71 billion names in a hat and then you pick one out, that is the statistic that says that this is Lori Vallow's DNA. Of course, the defense can say that 
Lori Vallow likely did JJ's laundry and that her hair could have made its way to JJ by that route, but the hair was on the duct tape stuck to the plastic wrapped around JJ. To me, this is very damning, and it may be one piece of evidence that pushes the jurors to declare Lori guilty. Of course, they're going to have to cobble together all the pieces of evidence that have been presented and decide if it proves to them that Lori is guilty. Also on the stand was Utah's chief medical examiner, Examiner, Dr. Eric Christensen, who performed an autopsy on Tammy Daybell after her body was exhumed in December of 2019. You may recall that Tammy died suddenly in her sleep early in the morning of October 19th of 2019, and a coroner declared her death to be the result of natural causes. After the December autopsy, Tammy's cause of death was changed from natural causes to asphyxiation. Dr. Christensen testified that during the autopsy, he found myriad bruises on Tammy's body, which are consistent with her being restrained. This is distressing to hear because you always hope that victims don't suffer in any way or that they perhaps are unaware of what's happening to them. At least I always hope that. My gut is saying that someone maybe put a pillow over Tammy's face while someone else restrained her. However, Dr. Christensen could not say specifically how Tammy was asphyxiated. Dr. Christensen said that her organs looked fine and the only substance found in her body was a prescription medication. There were also no signs of seizures on her brain. Apparently, her husband, Chad, had told people that Tammy had been having seizures prior to her death. He's such a liar, liar, pants on fire. I can't wait for that freaking creep to be found guilty, and I hope he gets the ultimate punishment. I have no love in my heart for Chad Daybell. The only people that I feel for when it comes to him are his five children. They don't deserve any of this pain. I do wish, however, that they would wake up from the Kool-Aid that their father has been serving them all his life. It sounds like Lori's brother, Alex Cox, was out and about on the night of October 18th into the morning of October 19th when Tammy was done in. Alex was at the Chick-fil-A restaurant from 9.58 p.m., until 9.32 p.m. on October 18th. That's an hour and a half at a fast food restaurant. Wonder if he was playing on the jungle gym. Then his phone shows him at the Salem Church from 10.07 p.m. until 10.45 p.m. This church is about 2.5 miles away from Chad's property. Then nothing from 10.45 p.m., until 11.53 p.m. Does this mean that Alex turned his phone off at that point? Remember, detectives in the case against Brian Koberger show a period during which his cell phone seemed to fall off the network, and they believe he turned it off to try and mask his movements. Back to Alex Cox. Then at 11.53, Alex turns back up on the network, and he's headed south on Highway 20, to the Hilton Garden Hills Hotel, where he spends the night. It's fascinating that he didn't go home that evening. To me, this points to Alex being at the Daybell residence for the 45 minutes or so when he was off the network. Perhaps this is when Tammy Daybell was done in. Note that Tammy 
had two life insurance policies, one through Primerica and one through LifeMap. The beneficiary on both policies was Chad Daybell. After Tammy's death on October 19th, Chad received $300,000 from Primerica and $80,000 from LifeMap. An additional $50,000 was also paid out, so Chad walked away with a total of $430,000. Note that Alex was also found to have been at the Daybell's property on the day J.J. Vallow is believed to have been buried, September 9th of 2019. Alex was only there for 17 minutes that day, but it's possible that he had help burying J.J. Personally, I think it's likely that former grave digger Chad Daybell allegedly dug that hole before Alex Cox came over. And finally, some quick updates on the Delphi case out of Delphi, Indiana. Suspect Richard Allen is scheduled to appear in court for a bail review hearing on June 15th. Allen was moved to a different facility in April of 2023, so last month, after his attorneys expressed concern about his deteriorating mental and physical health. It is unclear if Allen was moved to a facility closer to his family and or if he's now being allowed to see them. And Kagan Klein, remember him? He pleaded guilty in late March to multiple charges in connection to child P. The 13 level 5 felonies he pleaded guilty to carry a maximum of 6 years in prison, and the 12 level 6 felonies he also pleaded guilty to are punishable by a maximum of 30 months in prison. I feel like he should get more for all of this. Klein will have to register as a violent SO in Indiana for the rest of his life. Klein has been in custody for 31 months, which will likely factor in as time served. He's scheduled to be sentenced on May 18th. Okay, that's all for today. I hope you enjoyed these updates. If you did, please smash that like button. And if you're not yet subscribed, please consider subscribing. And I'll see you next time on Bed Crime Stories.